Hello and welcome to the Hey Queer London podcast, Tea and Cake. Each episode we'll put on a brew and have a natter with the fabulous people doing fabulous things for and about London's queer community. In these uncertain times, community is more important than ever. We want to celebrate the brilliant people keeping our community going. Hey kids, how are you? I can't believe it, but this is our last episode for season two. Thank you for joining us on this journey for the last few months. A huge thank you to all of our amazing guests who took the time out especially to talk to me. It's been phenomenal getting to know you and discover more about the queer community in London. I'm taking a month off and we'll be back for a new series of Tea and Cake in October. If you want to be part of season three or want to get in touch, drop us a message at Tea and Cake Pod on Instagram and Twitter or email us at teaandcakepod at gmail.com. For this episode, I'm chatting to Ellie and Jess from the Queer Culture Club, an inclusive women-led collective in London who are fighting the dissolution of queer spaces and isolation in our community with weekly events and socials. Before we chat, I just want to say that as a member of the LGBTQIA community, I'm doing my best to ensure that I use the correct pronouns during these episodes. So if I slip up at any point during these chats, I apologise, promise to learn and do better. Hello to the Queer Culture Club. Hello, Ellie and Jess. How are you? Hello. Very Hi, good. we're Thanks. doing well. Thank yeah. you. How are you? Good. Oh, good. Thank you. How's lockdown been treating you? It's very hot right now, um, but it's yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey, hasn't it? Definitely been, been a very journey. Busy. Yep. Yes, we made ourselves very busy. You did. You seem to be doing two or three events since the beginning of lockdown. I think two or three events. Uh, uh, on each week yeah yeah yeah. um yeah Uh, yeah I mean I don't think that was always the intention but it definitely has come out that way I could imagine what's um how, how what's it been like to take the community online through lockdown um I think it mainly pretty much started out that way we did do a well we it kind of was in the initial stages before lockdown but it really was a lockdown born project um, to be honest, I think it was more that like the need was really there suddenly during lockdown, and that's where it came from. So we didn't really have to do that transition into lockdown so much. Um, it's more actually the transition out of lockdown that I think we're navigating at the moment. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a strange new world that we're coming into, and no one sort of really knows where to go next. I guess some people want to keep some community aspects online, but then some people are doing sort of are doing physical meetups as well, social distance meetups, but are doing the meetups. So what's that been like? Because you've done a bit of both, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So we've started doing some in real life events, which has been really, really nice. But obviously, like you said, it's really difficult to navigate the um, the kind of accessibility for people because because we were very much born online, we had the sort of privilege of being able to reach out beyond London where we're based. So we've got people um, literally logging in for our weekly socials from, we've got one girl that that logs in from Brunei. We've got people from America. So we have people, you know, people from all over, um, even within the UK. Um, so we're trying to now put on these in real life events, but we also don't want to lose the accessibility for those people. Um, so yeah, trying to navigate that is, has been quite yeah. a challenge. I mean, we're it? doing pretty well, I think. We had, um, yeah, I think we've got quite a good balance going on. We still provide quite a lot of online things. Um, I suppose the difference is, is that we don't, because we were born in lockdown, we don't really know what we're going back to. We don't know what our community looks like outside of lockdown. So it's all, yeah, a lot of unanswered questions. Have you learned any new skills? Oh, I've learned how to do graphics. <laughs> Graphic design, of course, yeah. Graphic design and just Insta- like social media has been, I've, I've learned how to do social media during lockdown, which has been fun and challenging. Jeff is like a, a, a social media, media genius now um, because... I'm hopeless at, at a lot of those things. I've I'm now kind of at a very very mediocre level, but I think yeah, Jess is soaring ahead. It takes a lot. Of, social media is one of those things that it takes a lot to do and a lot of dedication and time. So because outside of me doing Hey Queer London and the podcast and things like that, I might by trade I'm a social media manager for different brands. So like I, <laughs> I do it, I don't do it way too much. So I understand the. The, the stress levels of planning content, making sure it goes out at the right time, connecting with the community. It's 
it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work that people don't realise. <laughs> the author is kind of the majority of what what is there to use in lockdown. So that's why it was so necessary at the beginning. Yeah, definitely. It was the sort of the place where people went to for information, but also to connect straight away. And I think mm-hmm. as a queer community, it was sort of our first port of call, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, our, our community definitely has grown from from Instagram, yeah. really, hasn't it? Um, we started with a WhatsApp group, but then once it went onto on Instagram, that's when it started yeah. sort of picking up, picking up pace. Oh, really? I think. Let, let's go to that story. How, how did how did the Queer Culture Club start? Take us back to the beginning. Um, okay, well, I suppose it started. Um, I kept meeting people who. Um, kind of wanted a queer community outside of a kind of dating community or a club night or hinge or any of um any of those kind of um yeah very dating um related platforms and i kept meeting people who maybe weren't relate wanting relationships and they just felt like they were really missing um yeah kind of like having a group of queer people because everything seemed very nightlife oriented um, and I just kept, felt like I kept having the same conversation over and over again with people um, because at the time I personally wasn't looking to meet anyone romantically, um, but almost felt like I had to because that was almost the only way for me to find kind of like other queer people. Um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of kept having these this conversation and I spoke to people about starting it and I got a WhatsApp going. I went to... Um, this um, event in Soho, um, purely pretty much because of the, um, <laughs> they, they were offering like fr- uh, um, free Prosecco. <laughs> Amazing. So it's the booze that brought you in. <laughs> yeah, my friend Lottie and I went and um, we met we met this um, amazing person called Jack and um, we just basically started talking about how, we were basically like, why are we all here? And as much as it was for um, the, free Prosecco and um, this kind of queer exhibition. We were mainly here because we were just there because we wanted to meet um, other queer people. And um, kind of as a joke, I was like, oh, let's think of a name and let's just make this a thing. And um, I remember us all kind of joking over our free Prosecco about what we would call ourselves. And then um, I say within a week, we'd like forgotten all about it. Um, And then yeah so I kept kind of like thinking about that and then by accident I bumped into Jess at um Aphrodite which is a quite a well-known lesbian night that we go to which is wonderful one of our favorite nights um hopefully we'll one day get back there um don't know if Jess if you want to tell the story of our um yeah our significant meeting (laughs) Uh, I believe that I went into the toilet and you were there in front of the mirror and you were wearing a top that I have and I drunkenly got very excited about the fact that we have the same top um, and went over to you and very um, passionately told you that this top was the same as mine and you looked at me like I was crazy um, and we've been friends ever since. (laughs) So yeah, and I believe I'm still in, even now, about a year later, I'm still in Ellie's phone as Jess Aphrodite. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, no, she, is. she absolutely is. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I think, yeah, so basically then we we met up again. And I remember very drunkenly going on to Jess about, um, I'd spoken to another friend, um, Kat Murley, who I knew from uni, who basically said, I really want to do this. This like sounds like such a great idea. Let's, you know, get these platforms running. Um and you know, like we, we we can make something happen. And I just thought, well, that's never going to happen because I'm horrific at IT and I can't possibly manage anything social media related. So that's the end of that dream. I then met Jess and was kind of drunkly drunkenly going on about how I really wanted this, um, you know, community for queer people to get together, blah blah blah. And I don't even remember whether you were even agreeing, but then. All I know is I think pretty much the next day, I just got a message from Jess Aphrodite um, saying, oh, yeah, so here's your Instagram password, your Instagram email. Uh, This is the email account. Um, This is your Facebook email or all these different things. And I was like, "Okay, whoa, (laughs) like 
if this has been all like I've now got a I've got a basis of this within the next like just half an hour this this woman has done this um and then I think I just like grabbed her and haven't let her go ed- ever since really oh it's handy that I live literally in the street opposite to Ellie so I can't yeah. escape <laughs> ever, so. so if yeah. you haven't done something you can just run around the corner and be like oi Mm. oh no i don't chase (laughs) jess for anything it's all done way before i even like i'll just i'll just go to do something and it is it will already have been done like two days ago and i have to be like oh don't repeat that okay so how did you grow the community how's it because it's it's grown because before lockdown i think you just started your instagram but now it's like two thousand plus like members Mm. now and followers that that's that's amazing yeah, so I think it, it pretty much started off at the beginning of lockdown. We started doing like, um, it was on like the house party app. We started doing just these sort of like regular socials and, you know, the new normal of this is how we're going to hang out now. And we kind of put it out to people that, you know, if you want, you know, if you're feeling lonely or isolated within within quarantine, you know, we're going to be here. It's a lot of people. A lot of people don't know anyone. So it's fine. Just come along. We'll all have a chat. We'll all have a glass of wine. Um, and from there, we started doing all sorts didn't we we started sort of getting feedback from people about kind of the kind of events that they'd like to um to to participate in and we started running all these different sorts of events it just sort of grew it really started with about six people on a on a a house party meetup and it grew to having discussion clubs and life drawing classes and um, what else it's growing to the point where we now can't keep up at all um but I do remember the days when I was like um oh we have six people on this call it's amazing <laughs> like six new people um and I do remember um at first I think it was also just a what's it was a whatsapp group it still is um a whatsapp group um unfortunately um no it, it's now quite a large whatsapp group but it was quite a small one and I remember the first time um I was so happy the first time um it wasn't just me posting loads and loads of stuff it was someone else posting just a question saying, oh, um, does anyone know about a queer, blah, blah, I can't remember what it was, something um, that I could join in London. And someone else responded giving that information. And I was like, this, this is okay, right. Now it's like people are communicating. And that's like what I think, um, as soon as that started happening, then it just, it just became a thing. And also just the desperation in lockdown. Um, I think what, mm. I think, what grew it was people having to go home to families maybe where um, being queer was, you know, it's not an ideal place for them to be. They maybe felt more isolated. Um, yeah, people being, it really, lockdown obviously puts a lot of pressure on whoever you're living with, even if it's with your partner and you feel kind of devoid of any other kind of connection or you're missing, yeah, w- whatever it is, I think it really exacerbates the kind of sense of isolation and that I think it was just out of kind of that, that the demand was already there yeah because I think as, as a queer community I think lockdown has hit us all pretty pretty hard we're, we're, we're very used to as a community being very physical and seeing people and connecting like either down the pub or at events and different things and, and when lockdown hit it was definitely one of those things of how do people connect or people who don't have that friendship group around them directly, like how do they connect? So that must be, yeah, as you said, it was interesting to see, to see that develop and how that changed as well. Yeah. And I think also a lot of people who were being furloughed really wanted something to do. And part of the reason why we, um, I mean, I'd say the the reason why it's been quite successful is just the fact that so many people have a very active role in it. Um, I think I was in a, I joined a group kind of prior to, um, lockdown, which was a lesbian group. And it was very, um, kind of almost like a somewhat of like a little bit of a dictatorship almost. It was like very kind of run by like one or two people. And it was very, it just felt like, um, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't really have kind of the type of environment I wanted queer culture club to have. And so we have almost obsessively made it very much of a collective um to the point where yeah I mean yeah maybe maybe a little bit too much almost where we've got so many people doing so many different things it's quite hard to even remember ourselves who's in charge of what but at the same time it 
it it's why why it's been great like that's that's what has been so good and partly furlough is probably to blame for that yeah we suddenly got left with this sort of we had access to this entire community of people who were on furlough and had time and wanted to use their skills for something productive and uh, we, we joke about this all the time that actually we've sort of facilitated it but actually you know we've got so many different people running different events for us we basically anytime anyone joins the whatsapp group and they're like i do this we're like okay and i'll be straight in there like do you want to offer this kind of event do you want to do this and we basically just pull people in the minute they get through the door and they so they run all these amazing you know exciting events for us and we just kind of promote them you know promote them on the platform and so we basically we're, we're harvesting everyone's skills and, and kind of yeah. making it into this really exciting thing harvesting, harvesting. not poaching yeah, harvesting there, there was, a, the there was an use. idea that we, we did poach people's skills but now we're really trying actively almost to not poach people's skills because we, we do too much to the point where if now someone wants something to happen or they say oh could you provide this I'm like yes absolutely go ahead let me know how it goes because it, you know it's just too much to keep up with so people really have like ownership of their, their own things also, yeah that, that, quickly that's brilliant say, queer people so talented so much talent yeah yeah we have an amazing community and that, that's the thing i think sometimes we can forget when you only see one part of the culture of, of going out and meeting people in bars and, and of course sort of through sexual exploration i think sometimes yeah you can forget about the, the amazing creativity things and the amazing things that people do and that's i guess that's why I've, I've also found in lockdown with doing hey queer london is seeing all of the different events that people have put on and it's been a massive form like it's not just been drag events and, and i think you guys have been quite a big part of that like trying out different things that must have been fun Oh, it's been amazing. Like, what, it doesn't it doesn't matter what wacky idea one of us will come. One of us will come up with the idea. Like, wouldn't it be really cool if we had something like this? And we'll be like, oh, there won't be anyone that can do that. There's definitely at least three people within the community that can do that, and they get it up and running. It's amazing. Yeah, because you've also done quite a lot of collaborations as well. I saw like with with um, Queer mm -hmm. the Table and um, Sophia, who does Queer Twerk as well, Queer Twerk after work, and then also the even like the the Shush, yeah, shush. Women's Store as well. That like that's been brilliant. How did they come about? Were they just members of the community to begin with, or were they? Did you have to reach out to them? Um, so Rosie, who runs Queer the Table, I actually met really, really drunkenly at a different queer event um, just before lockdown. To the point where we had a really apparently had a really long conversation. She was telling me about this supper club that she wanted to run, and it was really exciting. And she also lived in Brixton, and you know, I, I offered to help her with it and all this sort of stuff. And then in the morning, she messaged me. And I had no idea who she was, had no recollection of the conversation. And honestly, to the point was like, I don't, I'm sensing I feel I don't have, and the, yeah. Um, but then, but then, you know, we had a conversation and we, you know, sort of brought her into the community and she's been absolutely instrumental, hasn't she? in, in running a lot of events for us and she's done um, sort of a Zoom vegan supper club. She's done a Zoom um, knife skills class, which was really well attended. And now she's launching her first sort of in real life Queer the Table supper club event at the end of the month, which is sold out within minutes, um, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, so she's, yeah, she's been a really big part of the community. Yeah, all um, the, yeah the shush was run by um, Kat. Kat organized that. Um, I think, yeah, because there's a team of people really, like even recently we've been doing a lot of the life drawing. Um, and that's just something that, um, you know, people who do life drawing like really, really regularly will um, be interested in. But then also um, I kind of put that out almost, again, not as a joke, but just because I thought I'll quite often jokily say to someone, oh, want to be a model? Um, and they want to be. I'm amazed. In fact, we have too many life drawing models to the point where we now have to continue it, whatever happens, because of the models which is unusual. So I had to, we had to really beg my, my girlfriend to do the first event. So she was the first life model and I really had to sort of pretty please her to do it just so we could kick it off. And now, yeah, now we've got some sessions that have got two life models in one session because we've got so many people wanting to do it. Um, That's amazing. Really and also, did you know that you've got um, a, 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 a fan on the scene as well? Um, so I was speaking to um, Christian Nador the other day, Francesca, um oh yeah Krista Joe the Drag King she contacted yeah. like we're, we're yeah. chatting on a podcast mm -hmm. and she was like I've been doing the the life drawing classes with the, yeah. with the queer culture club and she was saying how, how much she's enjoyed it and how and how much she's enjoyed <laughs> they've enjoyed sorry how much they've enjoyed being part of the community and and 
being part of the collective and they're saying how much fun they had as well. Oh, that's awesome. The live drawing has been one of the most popular events, actually. I think it's it started off just as a, um, we said, let's do something creative. Yeah. And, and we were talking about doing some kind of crafting and our friend Jess. Yeah, Jess, Jess Webb. Yeah. Yeah. She's really into it. And she so said, we just, yeah, we had to kind of basically get rid of all the other crafting. Because yeah. <laughs> you you've also got a book club and a discussion club as well. Yeah, and um, during lockdown, we were also doing, I think it. I think that's why it ended up being quite wellness related, because that wasn't going to be our initial focus. It was all going to be a kind of social society kind of community um, group. But all the wellness activities happened, I suppose, because of the, um, you know, the mental health issues that came along with lockdown, which was really significant. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's what kind of drew people towards these like craft activities we had a support group led by um our psychotherapist Orla um for when you know people were still stuck at home um we had the zooms I think one of the most interesting things is that just our zoom socials um as Jess said you've got people kind of logging in from all over the world at that time anyway um and I remember quite often putting them on being part of the conversation and then leaving the Zoom on because being like IT inept, I didn't understand how to um, like change the host. Um, so I would just keep my my laptop on and I would wake up to the hearing voices at like four in the morning. Wow. Where these people were just still on this chat and other people had joined in from God knows which country and it was still on and I was just like, oh right okay fall asleep again to the voices you know probably talking about astrology or like love languages or whatever else you know queer women like to discuss <laughs> that's amazing where's the furthest person been from that you've had join join the community so i think is, is it ren in brunei is she the furthest away yeah i think and she she's there every tuesday she waits up um till goodness knows what time of the morning mm. it is for her and she's always i mean there. Yeah, so she she kind of through. Yeah, and some of these people like don't have, and a bit. Some people were stuck in other countries as well at the beginning of lockdown. Um, and I think I can't imagine what that, you know, what it's like if you can't even going out go outside. Um, yeah, I think there was definitely the need. We have quite a few life drawers coming in from America, don't we, each week? Yeah, to the point where it's got quite difficult because. So I'm kind of a, a bit of a people pleaser, let's just say. And I'll um, people were we we had one Zoom call where we were kind of being chastised for not really for being a bit London centric and kind of um, you know focusing on just like London in real life events, even though we still provided at the time a lot of Zoom stuff. And and they were like, um, yeah. My initial reaction, my response to pretty much anything is like, okay, great, sure, I'll make it happen, definitely. So I was, you know, like talking going to Jess like okay right so we've got to somehow you know somehow um establish our Yorkshire branch blah 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 um and, and Jess just said like so um this phrase comes to mind um let's just walk before we can run <laughs> and I was like okay yes good point of course and I think that's the that as you said has been the interesting thing with lockdown and especially quite a lot of the performers have said as well as they've their communities have come from outside of where they are based and actually it's quite it's great to have them involved but it's also trying to work out ways of keeping them involved and giving them their own space because just i would say that person if there's a york like set up their own yorkshire collective i think that's always i think that was our response yeah it's a good response and i think that's i think i think it's also important for those communities as well to build local communities because i think we we can be too london centric as this as a scene yeah. but i think all three of us live in london so <laughs> i mean the joys of being a collective means that that is now our response to a lot of things is why aren't you doing this mm -hmm. oh no absolutely go ahead like i mean it's great and sometimes I mean, it's also it's also been about like looking at how we can because the more things are going into in real life and you know people's work responsibilities are sort of back increasing back into sort of normal rates and we've sort of in fact even today we put a call out for sort of extra volunteers to come and help to run certain Zoom events in order to be able to keep them running um, even as we start doing more in real life events so for example this weekly social that we do we've sort of said you know if, if people want them to keep running then we're gonna you know we need help from 
from a few different people to keep them keep them going so I think it's just been about appealing to people like what what is it that you are really benefiting from what what are you really enjoying what do you want to see continue and are you happy to take some responsibility to to keep that you know up and running um, and we've had a really good response yeah. haven't we already? I mean um, it's just a strange it just was not expected for me I thought that I would be perpetually forcing people to join my weird club and actually now it's got to the point where we have someone on a plane from New York trying to log into the plane Wi-Fi to be on one of our events. I can't remember which one it was. It was the, it was the knife skills, wasn't it? And it was like, this is where, skills. I mean, this is great. Like, no, no, not having to force anyone to be on anything anymore. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, what was your, when you did your first, like, physical meetup, what was it like to see people in real life and to connect? It was so beautiful. <laughs> Jess, were you, I'm trying to, I don't think you were at the first one. It was the pride picnic, wasn't it? I was, I was performing at a different event online, so I couldn't be there. Um, in the and it was very, event. very socially distanced at the time. Um, and we, mm. it was just, it was a very surreal experience. One of the most surreal moments, I think, for me, like in my life, because I've never got to know people in quite an intimate way over a time where everyone else is so isolated and you're not meeting other people and yet not meeting them physically. But, you know, we were in support groups and we were in discussions about our, you know, like our attachment styles or um, talking about, um, you know, how to get through get through lockdown and mental health problems and um, really kind of sharing a lot of um, personal things with each other. And it was only when we'd kind of all met, or a lot of us met after all those months, that it was quite this very strange feeling of, oh, I feel like I know you so well and you're actually kind of a good friend. Mm -hmm. And yet I've never met you before. But it was really, really lovely. It was it was kind of surreal, but really lovely. Well, what's the what's the plans for the future of the of the Queer Culture Club? Where do you think you're gonna go next? Jess? <laughs> well we've um we've sort of been talking about this a lot I think um we sort of talked about taking it down a, a you know a charity route and applying to become a charity um and there have been sort of some other options in that kind of um vein that we've been looking at um we've basically we're trying to focus more now on as Ellie said doing quite sort of creative or, or wellness themed events um to sort of really prove that we are you know doing a service to the community so we've actually got we've actually really excitingly got someone on board who actually wants to offer um a professional mentoring scheme so she wants to provide professional workshops in all sort of different types of fields and, and set up a one-to-one -one mentoring and uh, we had a meeting with her last week and it's really exciting so sort of to offer you know a real sort of holistic um you know support system for queer people in london um which is really really exciting um, so I guess I guess that's that's the kind of trajectory that we're on. I, I guess think. it's just establishing whether you want to be like a social group or go down a more community um, kind of outreach or community involvement group. And um, what I've noticed is I think the kind of socialising and drinking and dating and drinking games and nights out, I feel will happen anyway. I almost don't think you need to facilitate that. I think if if anything to try and keep it down um a less kind of dating um like nightlife group you have to kind of focus it quite quite heavily on these kind of wellness activities um but I think yeah I think we're doing that quite well yeah and I definitely think there's a there's there's a big hunger there feels like a big hunger in the community for, as you said, for for sober, non-drink-related yeah. events and nights and places where you can really connect mm -hmm. with people. Because I was thinking about this the other day, like I've been personally been sober for the past year, haven't drunk and have been going out with friends, but I just suddenly realised I was like, there's no real other spaces to connect with people outside of outside of me going to the Welly in Soho. It's quite hard to find those spaces. No, definitely. And I think that's something. So we actually had a couple of groups message us, didn't we, over the last few weeks, um, asking if we could help them promote sober spaces and things like that. So I think that's definitely something that we want to, um, because, yeah, I think that's, even if you look at sort of these meetup groups and things, you know, nearly all of them are very 
you know, nightlife based or pub based. So I think actually just providing something outside of that has been really powerful. Um, and yeah, I so do far. think that people who want to do that will do that anyway, if you know what I mean. Um, you almost don't need to provide that because once you've got the connections there, like, um, but I do think it has to be quite focused as well. We are doing a trip to uh, the flower market, which, what are we doing? Yeah, so it's Columbia Road, Columbia Road flower, flower market. market. Um, because we have a seasonal representative now, which I think is very beautiful, um, <laughs> a title um, that she came up with herself, which was brilliant. Um, Amazing. One, That's such yeah, by one of our members, Lenka, who wants to do all these kind of, um, yeah, all these creative or just uh, like season-related um, activities, like winter kind of activities, autumn walks. I, I mean, it's just so so wholesome and so lovely. Pumpkin patches. Yeah, that's beautiful. amazing. Um, what's what do you think is the one thing you've learned from creating a community uh, from scratch? Sorry, oh, big question. I, mean, just, I feel like question. I'm just so. I have so much for admiration for all queers right now because of it's honestly it's like the magic that has poured out as soon as you kind of get a you just you know chuck a bunch of queer women together and oh my goodness what comes out like it's just amazing um and I think that just the dedication and generosity of the people who've wanted to get involved has just it's honestly made me like I just way more of a people person um so real faith in humanity I think um because mm -hmm. yeah I mean we've yeah just having people who haven't even benefited from our events saying that they'll you know create our whole website for example it just the power of um community and what people will give is like astounding yeah absolutely I think you know in the early stages when it was sort of just us trying to run events and nothing was really taking off and I think what we learned very quickly was that way the way to make this work in a way that was very different to anything else that was out there was just to let people bring their skills to the table and run with them and and not try and you know micromanage that and just to, to just let people flourish and do their own thing and just to you know give them a platform to explore that and really um thrive and we learned that really really quickly and it's just absolutely snowballed hasn't it we've got people coming to us almost every day with with different things that they want to offer and things that they want to talk about and you know meditations and journaling and creative artwork projects that they want to and run and, you know, yes it's just there's so much just out there. in particular wants to say yes to everything to the point where i'm like just really please slow down um <laughs> yeah that that's the other thing just if you could just have unlimited time that would be brilliant yeah if you, yeah if you could be paid to do this full time i think it it would be yeah. it's such a mm. rewarding giving back to the community and especially in the ways that you guys do is mm. it's it's so rewarding and and yeah as you said putting putting your faith back in people is super important mm. i think because sometimes we can get so scared as a community of what other people think and are we part of the right connection but actually yeah. things like this really really help really help mm. Um, how did you, so I guess, did you both live outside of London before you moved to London? Yeah. Yeah, I did. So I, I only arrived about a year oh, and wow. a half ago. So well, what did you think of the, the queer scene when you moved here, Jess? Um, so I actually moved here with, uh, my girlfriend. So when we first moved to London, we were just sort of in love with London and it was all very new and wonderful. And we spent the first six months just literally walking around London and seeing everything and it was glorious. Um, but it was just the two of us and it was only sort of towards the end of last year, you know, having met Ellie, um, and that we started sort of looking outwards for, for this sort of queer community and, um, and then lockdown hit. So for us, it was, you know, I was, I guess I was really invested in QCC because actually um, I didn't really have anyone outside of the two of us. And it was really, really lovely to see everyone kind of coming together to create something that was really special. And so I got really, really, um, I just, I just thought it was magic the way everyone was coming together to create, this, especially during such a difficult time. Um, so yeah, it was just, just really, just the right, right place at the right time. Yeah, I think, definitely. Really. And Ellie, what about you? What was your what was it like when you came to London for the first time? And it, I mean, getting well, to know from, the scene. I'm from South London anyway. Um, oh, nice! It's not often we meet other South South Londoners. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm from South London, but I don't feel like South London has had a lot really. 
um, in terms of queer community. Um, I mean, London has obviously had that. That's one of the reasons why we exist is because London, the queer spaces are just have just plummeted. And I remember one of the spaces that cropped up in London was the Chateau. Um, oh yeah, the Chateau. Yeah. yeah. And Which I, unfortunately is closed. Now. Yeah, I know. I know. Gutting, gutting. Um, well, that's just such, it's just so sad because I remember reading reading an article about how it was started to fight the dissolution of queer spaces um, or something along those lines. And I feel like South London, yeah, I think maybe things are starting up now. Obviously, there's the Vauxhall, Vauxhall Tavern and some other uh, other places, but I very much associated um, the queer scene with kind of, I suppose, East London or obviously Soho. Um, but then I also moved, I lived in Edinburgh for, and then Paris. So I only, yeah, I haven't been back in London. Um, I've been in, back in London a few years now. And um, yeah, I just, I just feel like obviously, you know, there is very limited out there, which isn't kind of about, um, that, that still kind of feels like it exists after the end of a night. If you know what I mean, after you know, there's yeah. like it's all very glittery and glitzy, and so there's so much fun. It's very fun. It's all really fun, but but that's it. Sometimes feels like there's not a lot else. Yeah, definitely. And I think also the the South London scene is. I think it's one of the ones I think is definitely growing and definitely yeah. people, as as you say, it's very easy that I I love the glory. I love Dawson Superstore. They're, they're and they're great spaces. And East London has got some great spaces. And Soho is 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 doing its thing and it's doing it very well but i think south london we often forget that there are some good it's like it's a growing scene and it's developing especially more sort of yeah. southeast london like southwest london has always had i guess the rvt the Vauxhall has done quite well especially and i guess like the two brewers but uh, yes yeah, southeast is sort of as you said like the chateau did really well there's yeah. joe the unicorn in in peckham which is sort of growing and changing and developing and yeah it's it, it's definitely interesting to see and i guess also yeah. for what like because from, from my perspective being because i'm a cis as i was always say i'm a cis white gay man so my experience of the scene I'm, I'm quite lucky with spaces how did you find it being two women of the scene how's that's kind of what i was thinking i, I was like just that it's yeah. yeah i associate i suppose the 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 queer scene and then the queer um women scene is is quite different and that's why i would maybe associate it more with like you know the odd nights in hackney or or you know, kind of with the hipster lesbians. Um, but um, you're right, I do think there is um, there is definitely growth happening in South London that's quite exciting, I think, because it's a scene that, yeah, obviously Soho's been there for ages. Um, I never really used to go out in Soho. It wasn't really my um, scene because I associated it with coming out and, like, trying to get into clubs when I was 17 living in London. So I've kind of, <laughs> I feel like I did that bit back then. Um, but Jess, yeah, what do you think about like kind of the spaces just for women? Um, so I kind of uh, came out, and my only experience of of sort of the queer scene in London was was Soho. So you know, she bar, um, which which actually Ellie said, you know, it's fine if you're sort of coming out and you're just kind of looking for you know fun night out, and it's great. But when I moved to London, particularly South London, um, we definitely found it difficult in the sense that to find other sort of queer women and it was and actually it was only when we got involved with QCC that it turns out that there's literally there's a group of what 20 of us that we know that live all on the same streets around us and we didn't even know that we were all there um and you know it was just you know we're all here but there's just there doesn't seem to be a space to really um to, to find each other I suppose so QCC has been really nice so there's a big group of us that have all been here for a while and none of us knew that we all existed and now you know we spend quite a lot of time together and it's just yeah it's just been really nice to to sort of find those people that are on your doorstep that you didn't know were there yeah another product of yeah. Lockdown, I think. Mm. yeah that's amazing because I think that's the thing yeah, we as my, most of my friends at East London so I go up to East London a lot and and Soho it's but it's quite nice when you build like a local definitely a local a, a local mm. community and things like that as well um how, how do you think that we can better create community spaces in London I think it's just really hard in general um because of just kind of the lack of space and queer community it, it's kind of a difficult one because I now know uh some people who are um 
you know, people who are kind of have just reached their 20s who find the idea of having an, a, a space for queer people um, only quite strange because they wouldn't really, you know, so many of them or even their friends, they wouldn't really ident identify as straight anyway. They would, they all kind of, you know, see themselves on a spectrum and, and that, you know, why would you have um, a space just purely for your, um, just assigned to your sexuality? Um, and yeah, they all identify as many, many different sexualities all on a very big um, scale. And I think it's all, and they all kind of study gender studies and think gender binary and um, is, I mean, they're, they're just so um, amazing. I mean, it's great. It's, it's the kind of mindset that I listen to and I'm like, why did I not grow up in that time? Why? Um, but I suppose I've kind of like, Jess and I are in a generation where we didn't have that. And so for people who still really do value having a queer scene or who have maybe really experienced um, the non-queer world, you know, being not always such a accepting, um, welcoming kind of forward thinking space, that's really hard. So it's almost like the more forward, the more progressive life gets, the harder it is to find queer spaces. So Ellie, because you've been in London for quite a long for 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 a while, how do you think the cha the scene has changed over the years for you? Um, I suppose I've seen um, a lot. Well, I suppose from my personal experience, I was um, when I came back to London, I was in a relationship, so um, I wasn't kind of going out so much on kind of the bar, the night the nightclub scene, but. I suppose I go to, I've experienced more kind of performance related things. Um, so a lot more kind of, um, yeah, like arts kind of nights and um, intermediate nights and open mic nights and drag and um, kind of, I'm also in the kind of the, the creative industry and I'm a, I'm a singer. So um, I tend to kind of gravitate towards those kind of events anyway, but there is a lot, or at least, <laughs> Uh, pre-lockdown there was there is so much out there especially in kind of the the, the arts world and you know like queer theatre and um, I love I love kind of the performance nights at um, Vauxhall Tavern and just I think for me that's probably what I'm drawn to because again there is another element there other than just being there being queer and drinking yeah, and I've definitely. seen a, more of a focus on that. So, so Jess, how did uh, how did you discover your queer identity? Would you say? Oh gosh, <laughs> that's a wow. That's a long story. Um, so I actually, it, I I came out very late. So I um, grew up in a sort of family where the idea of kind of labelling and boxing wasn't really a thing, which was really lovely. Um, so I sort of started dating girls when I was quite young sort of 17 18 and then within the family it was sort of very accepted but sort of the I think the outside world wasn't quite ready for sort of a femme presenting queer person at that point um so if you didn't have short hair you weren't allowed to be queer um as a woman so I got told that I was sort of attention seeking and being a rebel and it was all just a phase and so that and you know trouble is when you're a teenager you sort of believe that so I then tried really hard to do the sort of more heteronormative thing almost got married to a man and then realized at the last minute that that was a really bad idea. Um, and yeah, at sort of at the age of 25, suddenly was like, oh, actually, um, turns out <laughs> I, uh, literally, I, I went to work and I, I fell in love with a girl at my work and I realized that actually, you know, this whole sort of idea of, of getting married to this, this guy that I was with wasn't the right thing. And it was all quite, um, all quite difficult um and that's when I sort of came to London so I'd sort of never grown up with a queer identity I was very much um very much grew up in a sort of very cis sort of normative world um and then came to London and sort of found this entire new world which is really beautiful but yeah so I came to London with really no idea of what the queer scene was like and what you know who who sort of, what sort of my identity within that world really was so yeah it's been really exciting um yeah it was a bit of a bit of a strange journey in yeah. really it's a good it's an interesting journey definitely an interesting journey mm. no I was just say, I think that's where something like Queer Culture Club has really come in it's been invaluable because um you know finding other 
queer women of all different presentations and all different backgrounds and it's just been so um validating I guess and it's just been a really beautiful part of my journey um so yeah, it's been really really yeah great. definitely because I, th- I think that if we do we do uh, on the scene there is a tendency a very heavy tendency to lead towards gay men and white gay men so I think and I, I definitely think it is harder for the for the for the women for the female part of our community to to find their identities and to, and to connect with others I definitely I've definitely seen it's been a lot harder but it's great that you found each other and you found and you did it I think I think you were it's a, it's a it's a success really to show what you've done to 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 create a female-led group and to have predominantly I guess female presenting like members as well that's probably been quite interesting yeah, I just think, you know, if, if I had had anyone, any kind of representation when I was younger um, of any sort of more femme presenting um, sort of lesbians or, or bi women or whatever that might be, you know, my life would have been very different. So I think when I kind of came into that identity, I became quite passionate about trying to be that person for other people and trying to just cr- or create, the, you know, those opportunities for, for these sort of younger people to see people who look like them and just kind of normalize that. Um, so, yeah. That's kind of my motivation. Nelly, what about you? Um, I suppose I had uh, a bit of a different in- experience in that I came out, at least to myself, when I was um, much younger. Um, I, um, when I was about 10 or 11, only because I um, I remember seeing Legally Blonde um, when it first came out. Oh, yeah. And being having just just falling in love with one of the characters, not Elle Woods, um, the one who goes to prison. I can't remember what the actress is now. Um, but I just remember like just being in the cinema and then afterwards and just not understanding what was happening to me. And all I knew was that it was so bad and it was so wrong and so terrible. And I, I suppose, um, obviously, the like things were so different then. Um, and I guess I kind of then had a bit of a kind of, I suppose when, as I was growing up, I found it really difficult. I had kind of a strange, um, teenage, um, years where I just basically felt like I had a really massive mental health problem and that I was just quite disturbed, um, and much preferred that really from, from the idea that I can actually be a lesbian which I thought was quite like a bad word at the time. Um, and I think sometimes when I say that now, it seems so bizarre because so many people, especially, you know, if, you know, kind of younger people coming out now, um, you know, they just think that that's, you know, highly dramatic and, and just really strange thing to feel, but actually not really because um, even, you know, I was already, I was, I was born um, when um, I think it was the same, Oh, no, it was two years before it was like officially recognized that lesbianism was officially not a mental health disorder. Um, and I think that we um, forget that a lot. And so it was, you know, even in schools, um, much more actually by authority figures than by peer, peers, luckily. Um, it was much more by authority figures that I felt that it was really very wrong and very strange. Um, and yeah, I think it just was a, a long process. And that's also why I feel quite passionate about it with just, just the same way that Jess does now. Yeah, I think we, we don't always remember how quickly things change in a really short space of time. You know, I speak to people that are five years younger than me and their experiences are vastly different. Um, you know, when, when we were at school, Article 28 was still in force. So things have really, really changed so rapidly. And I think, you know, it, which is fantastic. But um, yeah, it's been a very, very different, it's a very different world now, which is amazing. Yeah. And it's, and I think it's, as yeah, because I'm very similar, like Section 28 was still happening when I was at school and, and, and there wasn't any other, no one really said they were gay or they were coming out. There wasn't really any, anyone to connect with. I think I, I went, I, I lived in a very white middle-class place outside of London and, and I went to a Christian school and there wasn't really, I don't think anyone came out when I was my year. Whereas now looking back, there's about three or four people who've yeah. since come out. Oh, and, so and 
It's so crazy. I'll look, like, I'll connect with him. There was someone else, like someone similar to me. I know, and it, it was well, so weird. My problem was that in my family we had a lesbian that came out, and she was like, she looked what like what a lesbian was supposed to look like back then. So my family were like, right, we've got we've got our gay woman, and that's you know, and she she looks like a queer woman, so that's okay. Um, so when I came out, they were like, oh no. But you you have long hair and you wear makeup. No, that's not. No, we we've already got our we've got our lesbian for the family. No, you don't look the way that you're supposed to. So it's it's really confusing as a kid to sort of have that kind of mixed message. And you know, it wasn't like today when there's so much representation in, in comparison of all these sort of different presentations, and it's so beautiful. But we just didn't have that back then. Yeah, so shame. I think I remember the first my one and i was i was re- reliving this the other day because my friends were asking me about it but it was i remember uh jack from dawson's creek came out and that was like 98 99 and i remember i remember mm. uh, a story that i was um i had a girlfriend at the time and i remember watching it on t4 in the morning and seeing the story and i actually picked up the phone to call her to tell her that i was gay at about 12 or 13 <laughs> and instead i turned around and just told her that i loved her instead oh because I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And then it took me another 10 years before coming out. It was, it's that, it's that scary thing. But yeah, it's that, like, that was probably my only representation apart from some, apart from sort of very sort of camper um, representation in terms of like game show hosts and people like that or presenters. It really wasn't like, I think, yeah, Jack from Dawson's Creek was probably the first person I was like, okay, he's come out as gay. Yeah, interesting. And I had suddenly there was a connection. I remember um, watching uh, Skins, um, oh, yeah. season three, I think, or wh- whichever it is where they have the lesbian couple in it. And it was mm. it was just a, I mean, as I just said, I, I knew from Legally Blonde, yet I still hadn't come out properly. Um, and I just remember sitting, over, like, one Saturday, this is very sad, sitting one Saturday and just waiting for the, the Channel 4 adverts to come on just the, the promo adverts, just of like Emily saying to Naomi something, you know, no, whatever, Skins-esque, probably quite emo, but um, I just remember <laughs> sitting and waiting and waiting and just being like, is this real? Is this a, wow, like, wow. And just feeling so much at the time. Um, and it's so strange to think back to that now. So strange. But yeah, the community nowadays, there's definitely, there's a growth in representation. I mean, there's not enough. We always say there's not enough in the scene, no. but there's definitely more people than yeah we would we would have had at the time. It's 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 crazy. It's crazy. Um, I was going to say, if you're happy, do you want to move on to our pop quiz? Are you ready? Yeah. Sure. Yes. Cool. So to everyone listening, the pop quiz is, uh, is called 4321. So I'm going to ask a series of questions in uh, number order. Um, Twelly and Jess. So the first one, um, could you give me four LGBTQ plus creators that we should be checking out right now? So I've got a couple. So one is a comedian uh, called Victoria Olsina. She's just been nominated as a semi-finalist for the Funny Women Comedy Competition. She's absolutely fantastic. Um, so she's Victoria underscore comedy on Instagram. I have a queer garden um, and they are a um, photographer. And um, they've done some of our photography just very much out of the kindness of their heart. And um, we are very grateful. But um, generally, they're just a, a photographer for queer queer spaces, queer events, um, and just phenomenal. Um, and then I've got um, a queer woman named Abby who has actually, during lockdown, set up an Etsy shop and is doing really, really, really well. And she makes um, this most incredible jewellery made out of real fruit. And honestly, it's just beautiful. So I've bought a load of pieces and you should definitely check her out. And she's on Etsy at Zest for Life with three T's. She's fab. Um, and I have the Lol Word Comedy Group, um, who you might know about. Um, yeah, they're just a great, um, amazing queer comedy group I think um they're I suppose yeah just like all performers everyone's kind of I mean waiting to get back on the scene um but yeah they're really amazing amazing thank you very much for those uh could you give me three LGBTQ plus nights or bars that we should be checking out in London once lockdown's finished um 
<laughs> yeah, once lockdown's finished. Um, yeah, so my number one is uh, Les Events, which um, is run by Mitra and Samira. And they are, honestly, when my girlfriend and I first arrived in London, we kind of went to all these different um, women's nights around London. And, you know, they were all fun. And But they were the ones that when we walked in together as a couple, not knowing anyone, every time we went to one of their events, we left you know, the, the hosts themselves would come and welcome us. And we always left feeling like we've made friends. It was just such a beautiful space. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend them. Um, Bar Whatever, I would say. Bar Whatever is the open mic night at um, Vauxhall Tavern. And I am in love with Bar Whatever. I came to London. It was one, back to London. It was one of the best, the, the nights that I first went to. And it's just one of my favourite communities. Um, and I've sung at it. And I... Um, I just think it's so loving and friendly. And my favourite thing about it was, um, firstly, that I just feel like it's the it's the only space that actually is as accepting as it's as it pretends to be. Um, whereas I think there are so many spaces who, which which really claim to be very very inclusive, but 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 bar whatever is is something else. And um, they also do a community news um, in the middle and I just have always loved that because it just is a place where anyone can get up and say um what they're starting and even the last one I went to before lockdown it was um people were standing up and saying oh you know we're trying to create this and we're trying to create this and so it, it's a great platform as well um and the other one that we came up with was um queer the table who we've done the um, collaboration with you know she's now Rosie Jones she's yeah she's now launching in real life so as I said her first event is actually already sold out it sold out in about three minutes I think but she will be hosting others so she's at queer the table underscore LDN on Instagram and she's honestly she, she's also about to um, launch a podcast for us she's just so fun and so funny and she's also an incredible chef so definitely check out her supper clubs amazing thank you very much for those uh, could you give me two queer music artists we should be listening to um, so my favourite is Girl in Red. So she's a young Norwegian pop artist. She sort of does indie pop, kind of quite emo-y, but absolutely beautiful voice. And I don't know if you've heard of her, but she has played a few a few shows in London, but definitely look out if she's coming back because she's fantastic. Um, mine isn't really an artist, but I'm going to shamelessly plug my beautiful, wonderful um, queer choir. Um, we are a semi-professional um, classical choir in London and that's not actually as geeky as it sounds um we do all these wonderful lgbt plus events um we do i mean it's it the choir um it's it's very kind of um singing oriented so so it is it is kind of a i mean it is it's obviously all about the music but we also give a platform to new um like new classical music art, um composers like lots and lots of different composers and we perform in queer spaces um so yeah it's called the fourth choir and we um yeah we'll be at some point up and running again and then you can find out lots of um yeah new queer composers in the industry amazing and uh last but not least could you give me one unsung hero of the lgbtq plus scene in london so i've decided to say that this is jess because <laughs> Um, oh. I know, but I've, I'm just determined to do this. this. Is Jess, Jess, Jess has just put her head in her hands. I've decided, she, she, she... I've determined to do this, and it's not just me. I've spoken to this, I've spoken about this to a few people because Jess is like so amazing because she's kind of like a machine. She can just, she just takes in like information about what she has to do, and she will just pump out so much productivity and queer culture club and and she does so many different things like queer culture club is definitely like a kind of you know a side project on the end of all her many many other like often queer related projects um but she's definitely i mean i would have kind of fallen way long ago um i'm always kind of questioning whether you know things it's going okay and whether i'm remotely equipped to do anything like this um and she's just been this kind of force of um you know whatever happens I'll kind of you know have maybe a minor freak out go to Jess and she'll be like it's fine done sorted no panic all good um and just yeah like the amount you know if she doesn't know how to do something she will just learn on the spot um 
and then I'll you know ask her to teach me and it will take me weeks and weeks or I'll give up like with graphic design and and someone will tell me to play to my strengths so yeah I think she's just um I think yeah everyone is is always in awe of like the amount of productivity that can really come from one person um she's I feel like people definitely think of queer culture club as kind of being started by me or maybe my by cat or um maybe you know other people but I think Jess is definitely like the force behind it that keeps it going oh Jess you look all embarrassed by that I am I'm very embarrassed <laughs> thank you Ellie um, I'm gonna throw in one bonus thing that I haven't told you about um what has been your binge watch for lockdown you does it look like we have to the the program like you not, not you to watch anything I love it <laughs> I can't remember the last time I watched I can't remember the time where the last time I've I mean I suppose things have blown up a little bit since lockdown but oh, I'm trying to think the last time I watched something oh no you you is a great one the other one everyone should definitely watch is Sex Education oh, yeah. yes oh my 100%. gosh possibly the best thing on Netflix right now just the like you watch the first couple of episodes and you think it's just going to be like a throwaway teenage kind of comedy and then you realize it's so much more than that and it's actually incredibly smart and yeah it really is educational very and impressive. it's beautiful yeah good choices no i like those those are very good i like lo- i've tried i've watched you but i because i was a fan of dan from gossip girl days so it's a, me it's, too that's why i watched it <laughs> but it's really weird to watch him being more creepy because i mean he got a bit creepy in gossip yeah. girl towards the end i didn't even know you meant but... that one him that show i thought that show was weird yeah but sure <laughs> it, i mean it's supposed to be quite weird it's supposed to be really weird that kind very, of very one on itv that happened that everyone was obsessed with normal people oh i i kind of got into that and then I suggested it to a few people oh, and they were yeah. like, that's not a queer show. Why Why are you watching it? <laughs> you should just watch queer television. That's all we should be watching. Okay, we can branch Only. out once in a while, please. <laughs> I know, I got bored of normal people, stopped. And I've just started it, restarted it again and fallen in love with it a bit more. Yeah. I think it needed a break from it because the first three episodes are very slow. I think it was also during up. lockdown. I mean, it, it was a, it's, it's, it's not like a fun watch, is it, for at the beginning? So... Yeah. You just need fun watches. That's what you basically need. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Jess and Ellie. I, am, I just want to say that I think you're both doing a phenomenal thing by building the Queer Culture Club and seeing it grow after the last over the last couple of months um, since lockdown has been phenomenal. And uh, like I just want to say you are both doing an amazing job. So thank you so much for what you do. Oh, well, thank you for having us. And also thank you for um, promoting all of our events because actually, you know, I think you were probably quite instrumental in a lot of our engagement, particularly sort of early on when we were finding our platform. So thank you. Total pleasure. Um, So where can people find you on the socials and the World Wide Web? So many. Um, So it's (laughs) Queer Culture Club. We have Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Meetup, Jess, what have I missed out? Many no, WhatsApp groups. No, we have a, a main. We have a main um, on our Instagram. We have a main link page which has the um, yeah. So at Queer Culture Club, and you'll find everything there. Amazing. What have you got coming up that we should look out for? So we've got our bi-weekly discussion clubs. So they're they're always got exciting topics coming up we've got our trip to columbia road flower market on sunday and we've got our life drawing events which are always really popular so yeah lots coming yeah definitely more that i can't oh look there's a lot of meditation stuff who who knew queer women and meditation i've just i mean (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah lots of kind of spiritual meditation meditative drawing meditative journaling meditative everything that could be meditative is going to be happening yeah, and watch this space for our professional mentoring scheme, which should be launching soon. So that's oh, amazing. Open mic night, which, by the way, we are still. We are, <gasps> yes, yeah, of this course. Is the story of our life. That's the biggest thing we've done so far. Yeah, we, we're trying to launch an open mic night, but we're trying to find a venue at the moment, which in lockdown conditions is quite tricky. But that should be coming soon, hopefully. We've got our performers, um, so it's yes, ready to go. Can, amazing. You can help us find a, lock, a, a venue. That would be brilliant. <laughs> We could talk off the podcast. I can fully come up with it. We can do a couple of suggestions. We'll we'll it's so Thank hard you. to navigate at the moment. 
yeah <laughs> no definitely we'll talk off the podcast yeah that's totally cool um but yeah guys that's all from us um we'll be back for a new season two uh a new se- well a new season soon um but that's it from us so see you later guys bye thanks so much bye thank you Bye. Thanks for listening to the Hey Queer London podcast, Tea and Cake. You can follow Hey Queer London on Instagram and Twitter at Hey Queer LDN to discover London's queer scene. You can also follow us at Tea and Cake Pod on Twitter and Instagram as well. Get in touch and tell us what you think of the show. We're on most podcast platforms, so please give us a review. The show is produced, presented and edited by Hey Queer London founder, Steve Whiting. A big thank you to Kelly Lee for letting us use her track Can't Dance. The show is produced by Mischievosity.